0: The cowboy craft.
1: Episode number 7, Cowboy Craft Podcast. On the episode, Mike Brummett, Great Basin Hat Co., Master Hatter, History of the Cowboy Hat. There are few items in the history of American culture that carry the same iconic weight as the cowboy hat. It's the one item of apparel that can be worn in any corner of the world and receive immediate recognition. As the old cowboy saying goes, it's the last thing you take off and the first thing that is noticed. Howdy everybody and welcome into the Cowboy Craft Podcast. We are thrilled beyond um, our expression to have Mike Brummett of Great Basin Hat Co. on the program today. Um, fantastic interview where he goes in-depth about hat making um, the different steps, processes and materials that are used very very educational, informative and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The only downside is is due to my um, lack of experience and um, uh, very limited brain function the microphone was not operating correctly and so the interview is not um, not up to standards, not up to par as far as audio quality, um, so you'll have to give us uh, a little leeway there. Still perfectly understandable and audible, but it uh, it does not have the crisp clearness of uh, our recording microphone. So we go into depth about the uh, the cowboy hat and the history of the cowboy hat is not that old actually. Before the invention of the cowboy hat, uh, which was a came before. Uh, Stetson um, came along. The cowpunchers, um, you know in the Plains area they uh, they wore cast offs of previous lives you know like old uh, English hats and all of those types of things and they uh, you know derbies and formal top hats and they made those into uh, the kind of hat they might need. Um, also remnants of the Civil War headgear um, Sailor hats were worn and, you know, we started to form a culture of uh cowboy hats. So, um I think it was after Stetson uh made a fur blanket. Uh or had uh he had this fur blanket and he cre- created it into this enormous hat with a huge brim. It was like for a joke. Uh but the hat was noted to be big enough to protect a man from the sun rain and all the rigors of the outdoors if i remember correctly is what they they quoted it as um, it was right after the turn of the century that the cowboy hat uh, it was still in its infancy uh... but it uh... was definitely catching on and uh... Kinda had a kind of had a mystique to it uh, had a feel to it if you if you had a cowboy hat you kind of had a, a reckless rugged uh... aura about you and uh... that's what we're gonna talk about today with mike is the creating a cowboy hat uh... what that craftsmanship artistry and um what that process looks like uh... it's a pretty interesting interview and i think you're going to enjoy it uh... mike's obviously uh... A very skilled you know hatter and uh and a personal friend of uh... the program uh... really uh, great guy with uh, some excellent um, insight into not only hats but the industry and craftsmanship uh... as well and the culture so um... that's kinda where that's kinda where we're at i think we would be um, i think we would be a little bit amiss on this program if we didn't uh, if we didn't mention that uh, Hollywood certainly had um, a big role within the last century of bringing the cowboy hats to a wider range of people um, John Wayne was beyond famous in his prime and uh, certainly brought some fame and mystique to not only cowboy hats but all the cowboy gear and uh, and I think that uh, also lent to the the mystique the uh, mystery of of the cowboy hat and the cowboy so you know i think in some people's minds that are not within the culture and do not live really within the world of the western uh... heritage they they actually believe that cowboys are a mystical and uh, non-existing thing um, i've run into many people over the years that had no idea that there was such thing as a cowboy left in the modern days as hard as that is to imagine, there are those people out there, and if you ever have the great privilege of running into one of them, it's probably best that you act as if you're one of the last, if not the last, just for laughs. Um, there's lots of uh, legendary people that wore hats. Uh, Buffalo Bill, obviously, was a pretty nifty dresser, and uh, he wore a huge Brim Stetson um both in his private life and his performing life um believed he lived in Nebraska and uh he was the first official rodeo type event in in the town of the 4th of July celebration that they have there anyway um i don't think they were called rodeos at the time but i think he kind of kind of gave them that name um and uh... he kinda made that big big hat famous so uh Buffalo Bill definitely was one of the most uh, snazzy cowboy dressers of all time if you see that uh... that flowery embroidered coat that he wore and uh... things of that nature he was he was definitely flamboyant to say the least I'm trying to think if there's any other uh... you know like real notable uh... I mean, there were lots of, lots of people from the Old West that had iconic hats that uh, you would probably recognize, but, um, you know, I know that some of the hats that have been used in the Western movies o- over the years have not been historically correct because we have uh, even, even movies like um, Lonesome Dove and, and things like that. The hats were, were not perfect for the time period but uh they were they were more beautiful because hats have carried uh have have grown since then you know because you would have had you would have had a lot of open crown hats that were worn at the time and, and just rugged dingy uh hats like that so you know they were definitely not these beautifully creased hand pressed hats being worn by your everyday puncher and uh that's just where we have to give artistic license to the movie makers but uh you know i think that some people definitely get hung up on that when they're watching a uh a western is the authenticity of the outfits is not generally there um and that's a that's something you just have to get over it's something i had to get over uh um when you're buying a hat uh a lot of people ask about the X's. um with great basin and hatco and with all custom hatters the more x's you have the higher amount of beaver you have in it uh quality and uh also it becomes more lightweight um so if you get a 100x hat it's a higher quality beaver um and it's more it's more lightweight it doesn't feel as much like a hard hat and it just you know comes on and off real easy but it holds up holds up real good so um I know that uh, that uh, many of the hats are made to have uh, different types of wools and felts in them, and uh, Mike gets into that pretty extensively. I ask him some pretty pointed questions about uh, about some of that. So, um, you're going to want to hear this if you have any interest in hats, which I know that all of you do. So, hopefully, you enjoy it and you get something out of it. Um, so, here we go. On to the interview with Mike Brummett. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Everybody and welcome into the Cowboy Crafts podcast. Uh, today on the episode we have Mike Brummett from Great Basin Hat Company and uh, personal friend of the program. It is an honor to have you on today, sir. Mike, how are you? Good. How are you? And it's an honor to be uh, part of this. Oh, we're pretty good. You know, down here we're always doing good. Never a bad day. So, Mike, uh, tell us about uh, tell us about how you. How hey, you got into hat making? Mike is a custom cowboy hatter. And, uh, well, I guess you make any kind of hat, but mostly cowboy hatter, right? <laughs> yeah, correct. And, uh, um, how, so how did you get into it? How did you start?
0: You know, it, well, what it started from was a, a love of, of, uh, Western arts, um, of tradition, of, of things past. Um, you know, as well as I do that, uh, a lot of our arts forms that we, we use uh, are dying. Um, there may be some people that do it, but not the same way they did it uh, for years and years past. Um, and, and a lot of people don't hold the
1: same traditions. Yeah, yeah it's definitely, definitely a dying art. Um, all the art forms within the cowboy community have obviously shrunk in size over the past decade and more than anything over the past hundred years, you know, because of the Western expansion into, um, and, and because of technology, some of those things have died out a little bit. But, um, certainly there are people that are still, are still dedicating their, their companies and their lives to, uh, building, building things like custom hats and silver and everything else. So how do you see yourself fitting into that, into those categories?
0: Yeah, as, as, as far as the, the hatters world that I'm in um, there's quite a few of us that, that uh, still try to try to hold on to that tradition and, and uh, build these build these custom hats for people and and love to see it you know uh, I, I just love to see some of that still um, how I fit in uh, is is my passion. Uh, I have a passion for when somebody orders a hat, I want to put it on their head and I want them I, want, I basically want it to be a an extension of themselves um, how their style is how 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 uh, they portray themselves um, everything from from uh, their morals to do their cowboy boots um, it needs to fit in yeah. and uh, so if I can do that and make it fit like a glove
1: that's what I'm about that's awesome that is awesome so what? Uh, tell us where you're located at. Uh, we're just out of Elko, Nevada.
0: We're in uh, Spring Creek, Nevada, just off the base of the Ruby Mountains.
1: How long um, you been? Excited. How long you been making uh, making hats for?
0: I've been making hats for uh, let's see, quite some time. Uh, but as far as doing it as a full-time business, started a few years ago. Um, like I said, I just got. Uh, I got wrapped up in, in, uh, in the tradition of it and, and how it made people feel, you know, when they, when they get a custom hat that fits, there's no better feeling in the world.
1: Yep. I can, I can attest to that because currently I'm wearing one as we're talking. So that definitely, (laughs) I can definitely tell you that is the case. So you got a few of them, uh, one or two, one or two, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, in the long run, where do you see yourself going, and what would you like to see your company? Uh, what would you like to see it go in the future? You know,
0: I—that's a hard question because I really like uh, where we're at. Um, of course, every business wants to wants to get bigger and and um, and expand, but uh, and, and I want to do that as well. But I want to hold. The same standards the same traditions that i use now and do that uh so whether that means um i have to spend some extensive time with some apprentices and, and get them squared up uh and and i only do that if i feel like that person holds the same value for for what we do as i do yeah. um so right now I don't I think some people think contrary but I'm a one-man show uh, doing this all over I see the comments I'm a you know big time hatter and all this other stuff but what it really comes down to is
1: is uh, I just try to bust my butt and build the best head I can. That's fantastic you know that we share those same values we uh, <clears throat> we've talked to a few people lately that have that are in the cowboy craft industry, and they all seem to have similar views to that. I mean, everybody wants to grow, to some level. They want to see their business grow, and they want to see they want to be able to retire by the time they hit 90. You know, what I mean, that's something everybody wants to do. <laughs> well, that's how it's gonna be. You know that, and I know that. But. <laughs> so, but we have we've had we've had this discussion with a couple of other guys. Do you think there's something that we could do to uh, expand the the education of the customer that we're not currently doing that might help grow the the heritage industry that we're trying to uh, work in here uh,
0: that's, that's also a difficult question um, Josh uh, you you do a great job um, in what you're doing uh, especially with this cowboy cowboy craft podcasts and stuff like that um, and then just your your, uh, the way you do things is, is great. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if there's anything more we can do. I, I hope there is, but if somebody figures it out, I'd <laughs> that's
1: right. Like to know. <laughs> that's right. So give me a walkthrough of how a, how a custom hat starts and what is the, what, what is the process you go through to get from getting it to fit somebody's head to the final product that goes in the box and out to their out to their place so so
0: a custom hat is a if, if you order a custom hat it's a pretty intimate process um... it's not just something that you can get online and, and click buy it now and you know in two weeks you get a you get a custom hat it's a can be a long process depending on the time of year but uh... so somebody will let me know what their what they want uh, and that can be on social media or or a phone call or whatever and then i'll talk to them uh i prefer to talk to them in person give me a call i can get a feel for what for what they're about and and what they're looking for Uh, at that point um i take a deposit on a on basically a spot for me to build them a hat um at after that deposit's paid i will uh send out a measure kit if they're from out of town um, or can't make it into the shop. Uh, this kit I've never had any issues with. Uh, I'll send it out. It has instructions. They'll measure themselves, um, send that kit back to me, and then they're on the list. So when their hat comes around, all during this time, of course, I'm talking to them and communicating with them about what they're actually looking for and if they have changed their mind stuff like this but um once their spot comes around i start with a uh, raw body felt um currently i'm only using uh pure beaver or pure beaver belly felt um, i've recently made that change just for uh basically quality longevity uh, and to keep the tradition true um
1: i block the hat on... Before, uh, before you go to the next step, tell us about what other what other felts are available that would be lesser than those two that you just mentioned. What are... Say I go into the store and I buy... Uh, I don't want to name a brand, but a brand off the shelf. What felts are, <clears throat> are different than that that would be offering a lower quality? I mean, what what is the... Is it like rabbit added into it, or what is the deal with well, some of those? So, so uh,
0: yeah, if you go into a... A big retail Western wear store, and you can go to their top in hats. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, but they'll call it a 100x. Um, there's actually no beaver in it. Uh, they use nutria, which is a small rat that has the same qualities as some of the same qualities as beaver. But it'll say
1: 100% beaver. It's really not. It's a rat. Did you uh, say a rat? Pretty much, <clears throat> um,
0: they—they—it's uh, it, called a nutria. It, it's pretty much a rat. Um, and if you go to some of the lower quality hats, they will be a blend of nutria and European hair, a rabbit fur. Um, and you'll—you know—on those hundred percent nutria hats, you'll spend a lot more than than a custom for basically, you're getting
1: rat fur. That's nice. So, what are the qualities in a beaver, in beaver that are better than, than, than rat? So the, the the the
0: breakdown basically, what it comes down to in the 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 hairs of the fur on a beaver, they if you look at them through a microscope, they're basically like like a, like a rose thorn type. Uh, they're barbed mm-hmm, so
1: mm-hmm.
0: and each one of those barbs has barbs so when they go through the felting process um, it goes through a lot of processes but when it goes through a cyclone basically all that that felt is pushed against the sidewalls of this cyclone and those barbs help really it makes the felt denser near a thick of hat to keep, um,
1: to keep body to the hat and right. to keep the shape. Right. So, the, if I say go with 100X of pure beaver, it's going to be a lot lighter than 100X of that, of the rat material or the rabbit or whatever else, right? Yes, correct. It'll, it'll
0: be, it'll be thinner and much lighter on your head. Uh, there's been a lot of comments from my customers that, you know, you even forget it's on your head.
1: Right, so. right. And that's definitely the case. I mean, I've worn hats that are really heavy and you know, it's like the hard hat effect. You take it off and you feel it after, you know, you'd be sleeping in your bed and you feel like you still have your hat on. So, well, that's definitely So, right. a weight comes off, right. and you take, take right. it off, yeah. Exactly. So, after you've selected the felt material, then what's the next step after that?
0: Um, so so I so I block the hat. Uh, it's a it's a basic block um of your your size. So if you're a if you're a seven and eight hat, um, according to your measurements that I got back, uh, I will block it to that. But here's where your measure kit comes in. You also take a head shape um, measurement, and I build a wooden block um, your your exact head shape. So after that blocking process the rest of the hat is built off of the block that I built that's your head shape so that's where the custom part comes in not only the colors and all the other stuff but that
1: perfect fit and so once you've blocked it out then uh, then what happens what's the next step after that
0: so as I'm blocking uh, we have a what what the hatters call it pouncing Um, so we we sand the felt. A lot of headers use different methods. Um, I prefer still to do everything by hand. Um, it gives a finer finer finish, better feel, um, and and I have more control over it. So after the crown is pounced, we put it on a, basically it's, it's a big iron. It's called a crown iron. Um, it rotates the block in a clockwise manner while a iron is against the crown and that helps compress the felt to the block. Um, the reason why it turns in a clockwise manner is another tradition. Anybody can... You, you can do it either way, but it's always been tradition. Everything you do to a hat, you either sand or brush or anything counterclockwise. So if that is turning clockwise, then the iron against it is turning counterclockwise
1: cool that's it that's very that's very interesting that and that's kind of like the traditional thing if you're like a super traditional guy building a hat that's how you do it is you'd make sure yep. you were doing it that way that's that's tons of fun so when you get down to the the sanding's done the pouncing's done then do you start shaping it or how does it work after that no so after
0: after that process and the the brim is done as well um we we go through what we call, what I call, a firing. Um, basically, we kill the felt. Uh,
1: I'll light it on fire. You like? Ain't no better way. To put it. You light the felt. I light the felt on fire. Uh, and is, does that make you feel good? Do you get satisfaction <laughs> it, out of that? It, it gets out.
0: It gets out some frustration for
1: sure. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just cool to look at. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had? Um, have well, you ever had that go bad before, or just kind of gets out of control? <laughs> There, there's only uh, only one time it went bad.
0: I, I haven't lit anything on fire, but I I had a good opportunity to have a photo shoot of a guy. Uh, he was helping build his own hat, a friend of mine, and uh, he wanted to take a picture of it on his head while it was burning. <laughs> hey, you can just imagine where that went. But.
1: <laughs> I, I, mean, <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Do you? You don't recommend no. that on a regular basis, do you? No, no, but it made a it made a cool picture. <laughs> the things we um, don't do for for photographs, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and you know what that process does is uh, all that steam and, and stretching and and all that uh, when you when you burn it like that, it it basically tightens all those fibers of that felt again.
1: Oh, I see. So that put that that kind of rebonds everything once you have Correct. that done. Correct, and then I, I
0: rub some natural oil back in it, and it's back to basically
1: natural state at that point. Kind of bring the pH level back to balance, right? Isn't that the deal? I mean, correct. It, I know, like in leather, the uh, the hides have a they still have like a living pH that they need to they need to uh, still maintain, or they don't hold up. And I'm guessing correct. that's kind of. So, do you ever have to do that through the process of owning your hat and maintaining it? Does it ever need to be conditioned in any way, or what do you recommend for that type of a thing? Um, after
0: I'm done with it, it I mean, it you should be you should be absolutely fine for a long time. Uh, if you ever do have an issue, I'm always here. I can recondition that hat. I don't recommend trying to do it yourself. Do it yourself. Don't buy any don't buy any store bought products uh-huh. that claim they'll clean or anything else on a on a beaver felt a pure beaver felt. Any of those store-bought products are just filled with chemicals, and they'll do more damage uh, to the hat than help.
1: I have some, uh, I have some yak grease that I carry in the shop. So should I just like slap that on every five years, or what? You have what now? <laughs> so I got some this can of yak grease. It's like made out of yak fat and nice. Yeah, could, just throw it on there, on while it. It. <laughs> <laughs> So, so after you fire it uh, and recondition it, then is it on to the shaping, or what do you what do you do then?
0: from that point it'll be it'll basically be an open crown flat hat uh also in the sweatband and then at that point uh if the if a bound edge is needed that's typically the step I go to next so I'll, I'll sew the bound edge on I'll put your put your hatband on whether it be one of your leather bands or a ribbon band that that I make um and then the shaping is the last last portion and and you know a lot of these guys have blocks that uh, shape, and that is not that is not untraditional. Those blocks have been around for a long time. Um, but what I prefer to do is is hand shape everything, um, so every hat still is
1: a little tiny bit different. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? I've been to some time. I've been to some hatter shops where they use a block, and then they kind of tweak it by hand after they're done in the block. Yep. Um, yep. But you're saying you you just do it all by hand. You don't even put it on the block. No, everything is by hand. Wow. So that's that's really a handmade hat all the way from start to finish. I mean, you're doing every single step without the aid of any kind of templates or blocks or anything. Correct. Well, uh, once you get once you get the shaping of it done, um, then is there anything else? Is that totally the last process? No. You,
0: uh, what I do. Um, is then i will take a picture of the hat i made of course send it to the customer and uh once once they're happy with it uh once they see that picture and they're good with it uh that's that's when i'll i'll uh, ship it get the rest payment stuff like that and uh if they need some tweaking if they're not happy with it i'm happy to change
1: it for them so do you uh you have a special way that you ship these hats or do you just throw them in like a brown box and send them out?
0: No, so, so, uh, my, my method, just because somebody spent some hard-earned money on, on a, on something to wear on their head and gave me the opportunity to do it, uh, I'm not a big fan of damage and shipping, so I have a hat box, uh, that the hat will go into and then, I ship it in another box as well. Um, not everybody does that, but it's a box inside of a box, um, and and that's just that's just my experience. It works, and I'll
1: stick to it. Sweet. So, um, what is the what is the wait time on a hack usually? Not currently, but what is the average wait time? And uh, what is the average? What is the cost? Average cost of a hat cost? Um, so
0: like I said, currently I'm selling two qualities: uh, 50x pure beaver. Um, approximately will run about 550 depending on the options you choose. Uh, 100x pure beaver belly, kind of top of the top, uh, 700 dollars.
1: That's a that's pretty dang good price for what you're getting. I mean, I I'm very uh weirded out by the idea of having a rat on my head, I have to tell you. I, I don't think I have any rat hats, but if you do have one out there, if you're listening to this and you have one of those, consider what you're putting on your head. Just consider. <laughs> so, um, do you uh, do you enjoy what you're doing? Do you get it satisfaction each time you build a hat, or is it, is it a drudgery, is it a job, how do you look at it? <laughs> you know, this is... Uh...
0: In, in it's a dream job there's no other way to put it uh, I enjoy what I do every hat I finish um, I look at and I'm like yeah you know uh, like I said my business is fueled for a for a passion of, of this um, you know you know me a little bit and you know but uh The, everything um, from from your beautiful saddles to to uh, to my hand built hats, you know, anything in between, from the horse's
1: back to the top of your head. So if you if you have if the day came where you weren't making uh, a good living out, I know for me that if I ever got to the point where. I wasn't making a good living at it. I'd still do it anyway because it never for me. It was never. It's never been about the money, you know. You never have, and you're never going to get wealthy off of any of this stuff. But I know you kind of give back a little bit to the Western community too, don't you? Sponsor some people and and give back in any way you can. Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: so that's yeah. You asked a question earlier about how to keep this stuff going, and for me, that's part of it. You know, get. Get uh, some of this stuff, and, and on people or or with people that are in the spotlight a lot more than I am. So, um, so I try to I try to give back a little bit to these people to not only you know of course promote my product, but to uh, to keep
1: keep that alive. That's that's really great. I actually think that that is a really good solution to. Um, not only do what we're doing here, I mean, how many people even know the process of what goes into making a handmade hat? What is the Uh, material? What is the process? How do you, how do you do it? I mean, I guarantee you there's a majority of the listeners out there that will have never put much thought into how it was made. Is there, uh, is there a difference in sweatbands? I mean, I know I have a couple sweatbands, not from your hats, but from other makers that bleed on my head real bad. Um, is there anything that is different about sweatbands that we need to look for? Um, how do those work? Um, so,
0: so when I first started, i I probably used those same sweatbands that, that you're speaking of. Um, however, i I searched far and wide and and finally found someone to make me some sweatbands that are, well, they're the best they are They're roan leather, natural colored, and that's all I'll use. That's I don't cool. care if it's a black hat, a tan hat, um, gray. It's gonna get a natural leather sweatband. For that reason, um, you don't have the dyes involved. It won't dry out and crack. Um,
1: it's it's they're nice sweatbands. That's nice. That's really nice. And I can I can speak to that. Uh, I have a hat, a black hat that has a a like a latigo colored sweatband in it from another maker and. Uh, I've had it for at least 10 years, and it bleeds on my head every year. I mean, I wear my felts pretty much year-round, unless, you know, it's like 150 degrees and I don't have a choice, but, um, you know, they just end up bleeding all over me, and and I hate that. So, that's definitely, I don't know if people have had that experience, but for me, it's definitely a big, kind of a big deal. Do you uh, have any chemicals in any of this that we should know about that are dangerous, like when they tan the the beaver or anything? Is there anything? (laughs) Is there anything no, no, at all? But... A, you know, you're talking
0: about the Mad Hatter thing, and that's fine. <laughs> uh, so, so yes, in the tanning process in the old days, they used to they used to use mercury, so that's where that uh, that's where that came along. Um, we've evolved quite a bit from there. There's
1: absolutely nothing in there you got to worry about, unless you're allergic to beaver, uh-huh. Then you're gonna have an issue. Uh-huh. That's excellent. I mean, I I already know. Some of the answers to these questions, but I think there, I, <laughs> I think there are people that you know might not have a good idea of, like the dyes that they're using for the, you know, to get the certain colors. Those are all 100% safe, right? I mean, there's nothing in any of that that we need to worry about. Yeah, correct,
0: and that's something else too. Uh, my hats are guaranteed not to bleed. Uh, so if you buy a black hat from me and go out and wear it in the rain for four hours,
1: you're not gonna look like a halloween costume well i think Um, i i think i might actually look like one one way or the (laughs) other (laughs)
0: um which which however on some of the store-bought hats and such they will use extra dye and extra powder Uh to make it feel good because it's not a it's not a handmade hat it's all built by machine right so in the
1: in the long run, how long should I expect the life of my hat? Let's say I'm a let's say I'm a, a puncher, I'm a buckaroo, I'm a guy working every day, got my hat on my head, uh, sweating in it nonstop. How much life expectancy can I get out of a good hat? Um, I mean, in all honesty, if
0: you take care of it, uh, if you brush it, send it to me every few years uh, to get to get basically get cleaned and reshaped, it'll last forever. Um, I know that doesn't always happen. These 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 buckaroos and punchers—they're not going to send me their hat every few years. I mean, it's part of their part of what they're making money with. So um, I would say if you can send it to me in, in 10 years, I'll clean it up. And if you waited that long, you'll get another 10 years out of it
1: at least. Wow, wow. So what? Let's say I have a, a old hat my granddad used to wear back in the day. It's really old. It's been sitting in a damp area for 10 years is there anything I can do about a hat like that is there any kind of restoration process or anything like that that can be done with it absolutely you can you can send it to me
0: um, I have processes that uh, can get a can get a pretty foul looking hat back to where you worked, to town um, I can go basically strip that felt back down to the same as when I start a hat. And, and redo that process over again
1: really really wow yep. I, obviously i know that depends on the quality of the felt that they originally used you know you can't do anything about that right Correct. But you're, you're you're limited to uh
0: to the quality of the felt um mm-hmm. the better the quality of felt but you know if it was your granddad's old stetson or something back in the day they still used beaver so did um, they really uh, did per, they really yeah so back then you know pre pre-1980s i would say uh, you could still, you get those old Stetsons and stuff like that. Were
1: still really good hats. So why did we see the shift from uh, from beaver to the the other material? I'd imagine cost and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, that's what they're about. Um, yeah. Do we mass, have mass uh, produced. do we have a shortage of beaver beaver uh, out there, or how does the supply look for that? No, it's good. Um, I,
0: Farm them. I'm not gonna beat around
1: the bush and so all try the to make some people yeah, feel better about yeah, it yeah they uh, so they're farming those for for what we need for their product there cuz i know that uh in the you know way back in the early early days that we obviously had a shortage of beaver you know when Correct. when they were trapping them nonstop but um so these all these are all coming from which you know they're doing that with a lot of stuff and that's that's okay because that's really the only way you're gonna get that you know that product Correct. that we need I mean it's no different than farming a cow or anything else gotta have the product yep. and we need, to, we need to farm them um, do uh, Do you have anything you're worried about for humanitarian things are there any companies out there that you're not working with because they're not you know they're not humane or is that are we looking good as far as all that goes um...
0: the companies I use uh, that i've looked into i don't have an issue there (laughs) um i use all american-made products from ribbon to the felt to everything um and i there's no issues in the in the felting process uh as far as inhumane like you said it's no
1: different than a cattle ranch or anything like that (laughs) that's good i'm I'm glad to hear that because i know that i i've uh I've had to stop using a few products in the past because, you know, uh, they either don't, they're not honest about where the product comes from or so on and so forth. And that's, that's something I'd like uh, the listeners to hear that in, in the industry that we're working in, I don't know a single solitary crafter that's not deeply concerned about where the product's coming from, the humane way in which it's raised and grown and the way it's uh, all gone about. That is definitely, uh, that's a part of what we do and we are concerned about that and uh, you know I think that a lot of times we we'll get painted into a corner of, of uh, you know people that don't really care about the product but in the end I think that a lot of our animals that end up being an end product have a far better life than animals that you know are not used for that so I'm glad to hear that on your end of it I'm glad to hear that you know uh, that's happening I mean we're not going to obviously get into the debate over over animal care, but that's <laughs> that's good to hear. No, it's an important factor, and, and you know, uh, you have to think about it. Uh, so, that was a good point. Well, that's good. I, I kind of wanted to go through the whole process and, and help people see what goes into a hat from A to, to the end, you know, from A to Z in that process. Yep. And that's just a little glimpse, I mean, you know as well as I do, that... You know, the years we put into becoming a a crafter that's skilled and has the ability to uh, produce something like this is uh, the value is not you can't put a value on it. You know.
0: Yeah, and, and you know we're always learning. You can you can be I can be a master hatter and and everything, but I'll tell you what you you still learn every day. Yeah. Um, well, that, and I know uh, you, you're the same in your. Yeah in your uh,
1: art as well. Absolutely. Oh, I, I, I don't I don't ever think that... I think if you get to the point where you feel like you can't learn anything or you can't change your process or you can't become more refined in what you're doing, I think your ego has already gotten in the way of your art. And if ego gets in the way of your craft and your art, you, uh, you're not doing anybody any good and, and most especially not any of your customers. So, you know, right. I think that i think it's a lifestyle i mean i think you know as well as i do anyone that dedicates majority of their time in their life to working in a one-man shop that's a lifestyle it's not just a craft it's an actual it's the way we live our life and uh you know it's uh it's dedication we have we're dedicated to keeping this heritage alive and that's kind of one of the reasons why i started this podcast was to help people understand what we're doing and uh and maybe get some people interested in uh... in being a part of it so i couldn't agree more josh and i really do appreciate you having me on and many good things ahead my friend yes absolutely absolutely so you currently are having a new website that should be up and running by the end of the year right yes yes uh... Um,
0: greatbasinhats.com we'll have a little more about uh... Well, you have a little more options to look and see what we do, and and
1: uh, I, I'm excited for it. What other, what other venues, social media venues, can you be found on uh, Instagram, Facebook, I'm assuming?
0: Instagram, Facebook. Um, if, if you want to see some of my process and in uh, video, take a look at my Instagram page. Search through, there's a bunch of pictures, videos. Um, you can see some of that process and, and uh, get an idea of what I do. And, you know, if you're out there looking for a new hat uh, and you don't see something on my, even when my website's going, if you don't see something on my website or don't see something you've seen on on my Instagram page or uh, Facebook page that you like, I can still build it. Just get a hold of me. There's um, there's millions of styles of hats out there. and, and well, for one thing, I don't have enough time to post all those. So.
1: <laughs> and you can build more than just cowboy stuff, right? I mean, you can build fedoras and everything else under the sun, can't you? Yeah, yeah. So,
0: so I build a lot of fedoras as well, and um, pretty much, pretty much any style you're looking for. You you can call them punchers, buckaroos, cowboys, um, but if you want a one inch brim flanged up. Uh, I can do that too. Uh, any anything you're looking for, get a hold of me.
1: We'll talk about it, and I can build it. That's awesome, Mike. That is that's great info. I'm telling you, people, take the time to listen to this podcast and understand what's going into it. Um, Mike's just uh, he's uh, he's a professional and he's a perfectionist, and we've had other people on this program that are the same way. If you remember, we had uh, Dana over at Big Sky Mohair Cinches and. That's another company we work with all the time, and I am telling you right now, the level of uh, perfection and, that's going into this, these handmade things are, if you could just spend one day in, in these people's uh, shop to see how they're doing their work, you would, uh, you, would, you would have a high level of respect for what they're doing. Mike, my friend, I, I can only hope and pray that you have, uh, have an excellent rest of the year, and that blessings are ahead for you, your family, and your company. And, uh, of course, uh, we're going to be talking to you on a regular basis, but thank you so much for coming on and imparting some of your wisdom to uh, the listeners and to myself.
0: Hey, Josh, thank you. Um, likewise, my friend, and, and uh, I know I appreciate it, and I'm sure the other makers that are, have been on these podcasts and, and in cowboy crafts, and just uh, have the pleasure of talking to you. Uh,
1: respect, and, and thank you very much. Alrighty, Mike. Well, take care and happy Thanksgiving and keep doing what you do best. You're the man. You too, my friend. Alright, so that was our interview with Mike Brummett of Great Basin Hat Co. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and uh, next week on the podcast we have uh, Sarah Burton from Western Skies Handmade you are going to love her I fell in love with her work the minute I saw it and uh, she's amazing an amazing artist talent and uh, super nice gal uh, you're gonna really like her uh, following that uh, I'm not sure who is exactly next but we got Mark Kohler We've had a walk, Cody Rich, a bunch of people coming up. So uh, just stay tuned. That's all you need to do. Just stay tuned. Talking a little bit about um, felt hats. Does the name John B. Stetson mean anything to you? Middle name was Batterson and uh, he was born in 1830. He's a U.S. hatter and uh, kind of inventor. Of the modern cowboy hat as far as making it popular on wide-scale production um, he founded John B Stetson company that you all know today um, he was born in New Jersey 7th of 12 children he um, I think he just decided he wanted a better hat and was going to make one. Um, Something that was waterproof felt, um, broad rim, keep the sun off your face, neck, shoulders, that type of thing. The hat that he built achieved pretty much instant popularity. And that's the old boss of the Plains. For any of you that know, that's a real popular hat. And was nicknamed the first real cowboy hat. First real cowboy hat. I love it. And then Stetson went on to build the Carlsbad, which is another popular hat, easily identified by its main crease down the front. I'm pretty sure you all know what hat that is. And uh, everyone just started calling them Stetsons. Uh, They were embossed with gold uh, on the hat bands. Uh, Stetson ended up owning a mansion in the land where he died. Um, It was like an 8,000 square foot masterpiece had like a bunch of celtic gothic stuff going on um it was crazy if you have a chance look up the photos of it um it's unreal he learned the trade from his father the hatting trade um and uh went to st louis where he started it up so uh, you know, he got better with time, but he kind of, he kind of had, uh, he saw what was coming, that people needed the hats, um, and, uh, then they went public and, and just got bigger from there, so, that is the story of the Stetson hat, which, uh, like I said, kind of made, uh, cowboy hats go into mass production in a lot of ways, and, um, John B. was responsible for that. Anyway, um, if you... If you have a chance, look him up. He was kind of a uh, British-looking uh, man, uh, big goatee, mustache, and of course, wore a Stetson. So, um, and he was pretty involved in the hatting for a long time. So, was definitely an on hands kind of kind of a guy. He died at 75, and that is that's John V. Stetson and the company has survived ever since then so for like you know a long time they've uh they've been able to keep going and it's uh i don't know if it's still in the family now if there's still somebody in the family that runs and operates it but you know uh they don't uh they don't obviously make a lot of of custom hats Uh, you know a lot of machine work and stuff like that at this point but that's the history of how that all of how that all started Um, and if you look up a picture of those hat styles um, you'll see you'll see what those are um, and how that would have been popular back in the day I mean for telling these stories it's helpful to put yourself if you can into some sort of a reality of where these people were and I don't mean Hollywood type reality, I mean uh, actual reality. Some other people that are fairly well known, at least to me, that uh, come to my mind right off the bat that were, you know, celebrity type. Uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, for me, is one of my one of my favorites, so I think, you know, Ronald Reagan when I think somebody somebody famous, but one of the most famous uh, open crown hats or in two movies, um, Lonesome Dove and, uh, Tombstone, I think are where you're going to see the most iconic hats like that. But, uh, you know, then you have your, your like Bill Durant style, uh, old cattleman type hats that were, you know, almost businessman like. So you'll have to go look at those as well. But it's pretty interesting, and I think you might enjoy looking into the history a little bit and, uh, educating yourself on it to some extent anyways so that's our that's our little story about the stetson hat company and how felt beaver hats are made and uh i'm hoping you enjoyed it got something out of it learned uh learned about the the craft that's involved because there's such a um such a lot of hand work and effort that goes into it that uh hopefully you got something out of that and you you realized all this work that's going into these beautiful hats um, and maybe you appreciate it just a little bit more wear it with a little, a little bit more pride um, anyway we sure enjoy coming to you and giving you this information and thank you for listening uh, it means a lot to us if you would uh, if you get a chance um, following this episode go to iTunes and leave a review Um, send me some feedback at dusty at me.com and, uh, and kind of help support us a little bit. It would mean a ton and of course, listen and download, um, share with your friends, do everything you can to get the word out. Um, we will forever be in your debt. So anyway, this is Josh with cowboy crafts podcast and look forward to coming to you again next episode with Sarah Burton from Western skies handmade. Um, and uh hopefully you'll uh you'll stay tuned for that and uh get something good from that as well like i said that's a a pretty interesting interview i sure enjoyed it and hopefully hopefully you'll listen uh listen to that so we'll follow up with a poem like we always do and we will bid you adios. thank you friends god bless you now mustang gray there was a brave old Texican, they called him Mustang Gray. He left his home when but a youth went ranging far away. But he'll go no more arranging, a savage to a fright. He has heard his last war whoop, and he's fought his last fight. He ne'er would sleep within a tent. No comforts would he know, but like a brave old Texican, arranging he would go. When Texas was invaded by a mighty tyrant foe, He mounted his noble war horse, And arranging, he did go. And once he was taken prisoner, bound in chains upon the way, He wore the yoke of bondage through the streets of Monterey. A senorita loved him, And followed by his side, She opened the gates, And gave to him her father's steed to ride. God bless the senorita, the belle of Monterey. She opened wide the prison door And let him ride away And when his veteran's life was spent It was his last command To bury him on Texas soil On the banks of the Rio Grande And there the lonely traveler When passing by his grave Will shed a farewell tear At the bravest of the brave Now he'll go no more arranging The savage to a fright He's heard his last war hoop and fought his last fight,
0: Tom Gray.